Hello out there. I'm Pamela Fagan Hutchins, and this is Wine, Women, and Writing. This is the show where I talk with other authors about their fantastic, authentic female characters. I do occasionally talk to the guys as well, but I have a soft spot for women that write good, strong women that we can relate to with all their foibles and, um, and all of their challenges. So today we're going to have a great show. Before I launch into talking about which how do you do? Who's next to you? I'm doing this on video and podcast. If you were on podcast right now, you'd see my inability to do a mirror image. I can't point at the woman next to me, um, but we'll forget that that happened. Instead, let me give you a few announcements before we launch here. The first is, is that if you want to see past shows or if you want to read the books for upcoming shows so you can kind of book club with me, then go out to PamelaFaganHutchins.com and I have a show tab there with all of those shows. I also have a new release, Scapegoat. It's the fourth book in my Patrick Flint series, ebook, paperback, and as of yesterday, audio is out as well as a box set of the first three books. But this is what I'm super excited about right now. I... I launched into a children's book in cooperation with a wonderful artist named Laylee Frazier. It's called Poppy Needs a Puppy. And it's going to be a series. It's got a companion song that's a free download. It comes out next week. Yay. So excited. Yay. <laughs> the things that get you super, super pumped up. Um, and last but not least, there's one spot left in my October 20th through 22nd virtual retreat. It's for, it's for writers. So it's marketing and advertising for publishing success. If you want in on that, Go out to my website, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, and there's a writing retreats uh, tab that you can navigate to. Enough about me. Let's get to the good stuff. Today, I have a writer that is a writer that I read. So if you're thinking, okay, Pamela has all these guests, what does she really read if she gets the choice? I read Carrie Ann King, and that's who I have on the show today. Carrie Ann King, my friend and author of new release, A Borrowed Life. Welcome back to the show, my dear. Hi, thank you so much. I was super excited to get to come talk to you again. It's just, it's fun to talk to Carrie. And <laughs> Carrie Ann, Carrie, whatever we're calling her in this iteration of her many writing personas, but for books like a borrowed life for women's fiction for straight up general fiction it's carrie ann king do we want to mention that other hat and it just briefly that you do sure. other things yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely it's perfect because it's halloween yeah. so i've been actually kind of kind of pumping those books so as carrie shaper i also write a weird quirky dark Kind of maybe horror, but not really. Um, I don't. I don't know. Cross genre fun series called Shadow Valley Manor, um, and I have discovered recently that there's this whole new um, kind of like genre that they're calling paranormal women's fiction, which which has characters who are forty or older um, in the paranormal world, and I am loving this because that's my yeah. main character, Maureen, has been always considered a little too old, so. Now she's perfect. It's always been about the 20 somethings. This rocks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah. Thank, thank you for introducing me to that. I, I just love, that's kind of like my Poppy Needs a Puppy kids book. It's really fun when you get to just say, I'm going to do something totally different. And at the same time, it's awesome when you get to really delve into that which people love that you do. 
as they love the way that you do these all the feels, highly suspenseful um, books that you do over in the fiction space. So let's let, let me just get this out of the way first. Last year, guys, I got to tell you, I did a top 10 for the year of all of my favorite books that I had read for my show. Hint, there are a lot. I read the books for all the guests, which are one a week. So that's 50. And then I read others for people that are trying to get on the show that don't. And then some that I just wish I could have on the show. And Everything You Are by Carrie Ann King was in my top 10 hands down. And it's up for a number of other great awards as well. So that was my best of 2019. I have high expectations for A Borrowed Life. Um, I also saw that you had an announcement of a kind of a, a cool uh, award or honor that you got recently, if you could tell us about it before we talk your book. Sure, absolutely. I was delighted, honored, and a little um, in awe, honestly, to get um, nominated and then elected as the 2020 Writer of the Year for the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers Association. So, yay! you know, I've been going to that conference for seven years now, I think, and every year I'd sit at the banquet and go, you know, maybe someday that'll be me up there giving the speech. So this year it was me, but not up there. So <laughs> I gave my speech on Zoom, which is not the same as to a room full of half drunk, happy writers, but you know, it was, it was okay. It was good. Maybe they were half drunk anyway. Yeah, probably, right? <laughs> but how perfect for a writer that you didn't have to really go in person. This is good. Yes, I, I included in my um, I included in my acceptance speech that you know I used to wonder if I did win what I would wear and would I go buy a new dress and then you know added now you all get to guess if I'm even wearing pants. So. <laughs> Sorry, that was really loud. But oh, <laughs> uh, so okay, so Carrie writes horror. She writes women's fiction, and yet she's so freaking funny. Do you ever write straight up comedy? No. Well, oh, yeah. you know, I don't know how to do that. And honestly, sometimes when things get funny, I don't, I don't, my humor tends to be in the situation yeah. um, more than anything. And I should just say right here, I, horror, it's so funny when people call my books horror because I don't read horror. I just, I just ran into that this week. Somebody asked me to blurb something for them. I was like, yeah, I'll read. And then I had to email her and go, you know, I don't read things where everybody dies. And like, no, I, I don't read it. I don't write it. I'm like, no. Paranormal women's fiction. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> well, I would love for you to tell everybody about your new book. Um, sure. Some serious themes in this new book. So A Borrowed Life. So I'm gonna, I get to show you, if you're looking at this beautiful cover that they made for me, which I um, am in love with, um, there are serious themes. And yet again, there's a whole fair lot of humor in this book. And I and I love hearing that from readers that they also laughed. Um, so A Borrowed Life is the story of a woman who married young, a um, fundamentalist pastor who has really been very controlling throughout her life. So she has spent the last 30 years um, basically meeting his demands, taking care of her now adult daughter and catering to the congregation. He dies suddenly and Liz finds herself in this position of 
now I could, if I'm brave enough, go out into the world and um, do some things and find out who I really am. Um, she's held back by her adult daughter who responds to grief and her father's conditioning by trying to keep mom from changing at all. And uh, she's inspired by her next door neighbor and uh, soon bestie, Val, who drags her out to join a community um, theater um, event. And so it goes from there. But Liz really is challenged to um, <laughs> explore and find some new things. And then, of course, as we're in the middle of finding a brand new life, obstacles happen. Well, we'll talk about the obstacles in just a second with no spoilers that aren't out there On the cover. available. Yeah, uh -huh. um, but I, I have to say, because you and I've talked about these things before, that this is a book that I suspect has been a while coming for you in the sense that you have dealt with unexpected loss. And did you use that in creating Liz? I did, but I didn't mean to. <laughs> so let, let me tell you. So there is a spoiler. And I'm going to mention the spoiler because that was where the idea of the book came from. It's not really a spoiler. It's on the back cover. We decided it wasn't a spoiler because it's really an integral part of the setup of the story. So as Liz ventures out into the world, um, she hooks up with a sexy guy. And um, well, <laughs> midlife, widowed, wife of a pastor with a whole small town congregation watching everything she does, she finds herself pregnant. Oh. Um, that was the seed of the idea of this book. My very first idea for this book was, I'm going to write a story about an older woman who gets pregnant. Because for me, that would be like total nightmare city, right? So it's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what would you do? So that was where it started. And I thought it was going to be kind of light and fun and easy. And then I started getting into writing. And I was like, well, how would this happen? And then I realized her husband died. And then I'd given her this whole controlling religion thing. And all of a sudden, I realized, oh, my God, I am keeping distance from this book. And it's not really working. And the reason I'm keeping distance not really working is I have had these experiences. So I had to switch the point of view into first person present because I had created distance by writing it in third and um, allow some of my personal emotions and experiences to get into the book. And this is the point where I have to clarify again, which I keep doing over and over. My husband was not like Thomas. My husband who died was a very, very kind and gentle soul. It was not, not, not a, yeah, I would just about said a word I probably shouldn't say if we want to keep this clean, so. <laughs> I'm going to check and make sure you can hear me because my video of my face froze in a very unattractive way, but you can hear me, right? I can hear you fine, yes. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, that's an important clarification, but yet I would think that anyone that experiences loss of someone close to them has to question whether they're the same person coming out the other side of that loss as they were before it. Right. And, and even before the relationship, whether you want it or not, life hands you a do over and what are you going to do with it? Right. right. And exactly. so to explore that had to be terrifying for you, honestly. I mean, how how much truth serum were you uh, ingesting as you were as you were digging into these emotions? 
Oh, a fair bit of truth, sir. But the truth is this. So in, in a, you know, another life outside of writing, I am a licensed mental health counselor. Um, and I'm pretty used to journaling, doing my feelings and all of that. So there were no huge surprises for me. It was just kind of, you know, being willing to, um, I'm a private person. I, I talk really freely about a lot of stuff, but my emotions, especially really strong um, grief type emotions, I like to keep those to myself. I don't like to do my grieving in public. So it felt vulnerable. Absolutely. I would feel like it, that it would be very, very vulnerable. So you started to realize it wasn't just a pregnancy. It wasn't just midlife. It was this whole uh, having lost someone and finding yourself on the other side. And so did you discover anything about yourself when you were writing this or were you pretty, as you said, pretty fleshed out already because of your grief process and your, your, uh, your day job or your day role and, and everything you'd done in the wake of your husband's death or was it there some moments where you had some self-discovery? Um, I, you know, I don't know that I really discovered anything about myself, but I, I do, I have to make a point really quick in that it's more than that with Liz, which I honestly didn't quite realize what I was doing until people started reading the book. It's very much um, the journey, another journey that I had. It's the grief journey, but almost more importantly than the grief journey is the journey from a place of kind of believing in some misogynistic um, things wow. that are built into a lot of faith-based religions, like the one that I grew up right. in, and the journey of finding your way free of that, which has been a, a long road for me. I think what was really enlightening for me when writing the book is how far I've really come, because people are so shocked by some of the things that I've written. And I actually, I had one person who usually loves my book. She's a reviewer and she asked for a copy and she's loved all my books. And she messaged me partway through and said, I can't read this. I'm just, I'm filled with rage and I just, I can't handle how her husband was and how everybody controlled her. And how would people act like this? And I'm like, well, you know, when I was a kid, I knew all kinds of people who acted like that. You know, there were there were families. My family was not like that, but there were many who were. I know these people. I know this happens. And so it was kind of a little bit what, what I really realized through writing this book is how far I have journeyed from that and the awareness of that that does still go on because I've had those kind of emails from readers as well. It's like, wow, you really nailed some things for me about, you know, um, a previous marriage or some things that I've been through. So that right there was probably more enlightening than all of the grief stuff, which I've had a lot of years to work through. That's super interesting. And, and that, and to think that some people would think that that was, not something that's real. It's not something that can really happen in real life because it's still going on. It's oh, everywhere. Still, I mean, all over the world, it's going on. It's, yes. it's at the heart of um, a lot of international issues. So uh, that's cool that you saw that about yourself and that you're able to demonstrate her journey out of it for other women that might either have experienced it or still be 
trying to figure out. Right. And, and I'm expecting that some people in that place might not like this book because it might make them uncomfortable. But I would be really delighted if it creates a little spark <laughs> that, yeah. that helps to, you know, move that journey forward. Maybe even if it's just a slow burn spark that's yeah. there eventually. And, you know, I think that the best in fiction tackles tough issues. If it was as easy as everyday life and going to coffee with a girlfriend who's as comfortable as an old pair of slippers and we're not challenged at all, right. then it's, it's not compelling dramatic fiction. And so I love that you tackle things, even knowing that for some people, this is hard stuff. Yeah. This is this is where they find themselves. But Liz found herself here and she did, for better or for worse, she did something about it. <laughs> yes. yes, she did. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so it's also the exploration of a mother-daughter relationship right. to an extent and, and, and uh, you know, how your kids do or don't let you change. Um, so that I'm sure a lot of women can relate to as well. Sure. I, a lot of people were really irritated by Abigail who, um, <laughs> you know, to be honest, Abigail at one point, she, she had her own point of view. And I think that really helped to soften her a little bit, but I ended up having to take it out. And so the, the thing about Abigail is this, I understand what's going on with her. She is, she was she was born with a one of those personalities that tends to be a little bit likes things all lined up in the first place. And she was in many ways wanting to be daddy's girl. So she bought into all of the things that he taught her about women and women's place in the world. And then with grief, you know, a lot of us respond to grief by not wanting to allow any change. That's a very common grief reaction. So what really happened to Abigail is, you know, first off, all of the kind of indoctrination she had and then grief popped in and all of a sudden here's mom running off and you know behaving like a wild thing and Abigail doesn't want her to change she doesn't want the house to change she doesn't want anything to change and some of that kind of did come from my personal experience my father died when I was um, probably about the same age as Abigail. And I didn't want, you know, my mom to sell anything or, you know, go out and find a new man or any of those things. Although I never said any of that. Um, I just um, didn't try to control her, but I felt it. So I gave Abigail a license to kind of act on that with a little more enthusiasm than I would have done. Than you exhibited. Well, you know, and even for... Uh, families that haven't experienced that kind of tragedy. I think about like our teenage daughter, the, the last of our five kids, when we moved out of our home in Houston to a new home the month after she graduated from high school, her reaction was very poor. That changing the very fabric of your childhood, what right. you expected to be able to count on, um, whether it's a marital situation or the death of someone or whether it's even a home is, oh, absolutely. It, you think they're all grown up, but not so much. They may look grown up on the outside. Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> There's a kid lurking in all of us everywhere. <laughs> there somewhere. <laughs> absolutely. For sure. <laughs> so now after a book where you tackle and, and let me ask you this. I, I, I was very interested when you said this. So changing to first person, present point of view, um, and, and did that solve 
for you, the problems you were having getting close to the subject matter? Was that the magic bullet? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I usually do write first person present and I had kind of just instinctively distanced myself. So That's one of the funny. things that I love about first person present is it, it forces me as the writer to put myself behind the eyes of my character. What do they see? What do they feel? What do they hear? Where are they? What's, what's going on in their world from their perspective? So it, it, gives me an immediacy. And as the reader, I believe it also gives you that, that you don't get from other point of view. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, there, there was no hiding once I dropped into that point of view, then I had to fill in all those gaps. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, um, I, I have, always loved reading first person because of that. I've been writing in first per a third person for the last few books and I miss the first person. Mm -hmm. I'm, I think I'm going to have to go back to it, but I love reading your books with first person present. Now, now that a borrowed life is having its moment and it's journeying out into the world and finding its readers, it, what is next for Carrie slash Carrie Ann? Um, you're always working on a couple of things at once with projects at different places in the pipeline. So what you got for us? Okay, well, um, Carrie Ann King actually has a book under contract that will be coming out next September, September 2021. It is currently called Other People's Things. And I am in the middle of uh, developmental edits for that right now. So um, that's what is going on with Carrie Ann King. Carrie Schaefer has been trying to write Shadow Valley Manor book number three for uh, months now and being distracted by all kinds of things. Um, I was laughing about your puppy needs a puppy book because we got a puppy, <laughs> maybe oh. misguidedly. Um, <laughs> what kind? She is a uh, mom was golden retriever Labrador um, cross, and we don't know about dad. Um, she's <laughs> she's very adorable, but you know puppies are a lot of work. We got her right before my book launch, and um, she has decided this is really funny because I'm not really the dog person. I am the cat lady. I adore my cats. Yes. Yeah, and um, my partner, the Viking, really needed a dog. So our last dog departed um, to the other plane of existence, wherever dogs go. And uh, he just kept, we need another dog, we need another dog. And I'm like, really? Do we really need another dog? So I started looking for him. We were looking for at shelters, couldn't find a dog. COVID dogs apparently are a thing everybody's adopting. So then these puppies came up. And I was like, oh, my God, really, a puppy? And then, well, can't find another dog. Okay, we'll do a puppy. Well, now here's the really ironic thing. Guess who the puppy has decided is her person? You. Yeah. You. you. That's so sweet. You're a dog person, whether you want to be or not. You want to be or not. She wants to sleep in my lap, and she oh. winds outside the bathroom, even when he's sitting right there. It's just like, oh, dear. Is it, is it hurting the Viking's feelings, or is he secretly charmed? I, you know, both. I think both. Um, he keeps calling her a wussy. Um, and but then I came home like he the first time he caught her, you know, I let her sleep up on my lap on the couch. Um, 
I he he made comments and then I came home I'd gone somewhere and came back to find her asleep on his chest in the recliner so (laughs) yeah it sounds like she squirmed her way into both of your hearts yeah yes like her sorry I didn't hear that how did the cats like her Oh, we're still working on that. Um, we have a mean cat, our oldest cat. She is just, you know, she had our our last dog was actually a uh, a Ridgeback, uh, a big, mean mm-hmm. kind of dog who was so um, frightened of this cat that he would not walk down the stairs if she was sitting at the bottom. Um, so so far, you know, we're we're working on that one. My um, my cat, my black cat, is just making himself scarce. He was friends with the last dog, weirdly enough, but you know, puppies are unpredictable and don't do well at the staying yeah. still thing. So they we're dart, on it. they dart, they nip, they want to tackle. You know, all those things. I know, I know, but how much fun! Oh yeah, we're working on it. She right. said she slept all night last night. This is like that's a big thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Carrie Carrie Schaefer can start writing um, Shadow. You know her next book in, in uh, excuse me her next book now. Now that we've got some sleep, maybe. Yeah. Well, it's I, I'm half I'm half drafted that book. It's like halfway to word count. I just you know keep getting so I have to finish my developmental edits and then I'll be back to that. I plan to have it out by the early next year at the very latest. I'm cool. I'm on it. I love it. And I love you. And I love that you've been on the show again. This was fun. And I hope A Borrowed Life is a huge success for you as it deserves. Right. Um, and you're going to come talk to me over on Tell Me Your Secrets, right? And we're going to talk about your, your new book. We are. We are. Yeah. I look forward to it. And for the rest of you out there, I have um, an exciting announcement. Wine Women in Writing is a solely owned and copyrighted production of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Um, and don't forget that you can go out to my website, PamelaHaganHutchins.com. You can get those past shows. You can get, um, uh, you know, if you forget the name of the book, you'll see Carrie Ann King, A Borrowed Life. So you can pick that up and you can also find my books, which uh, are ebooks are free on Kindle. You can get the paperback and audio anywhere. Ask if they don't carry it. And I believe the same goes for Miss Keen across from me. <laughs> all right. So with uh, with that, I wish you all a great week and leave you with hold on. Let me pull up the last banner. Carrie Ann King, A Borrowed Life. You can get it and uh, let her know what you think about it. All right. Carrie, thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody.